that it would time would not allow us to talk about every name that has been given to him. But John the Revelator wrote that he had a name that is above every name. And wrote that he had a name that no man knew but he himself. And, uh, but I just call him Lord. And I thank the Lord that he's my Savior. And I, I would say this to you. He don't see you like I see you. And he doesn't see me like you see me. You see me faulty and frail, fragile and broken. He sees me whole and strong and redeemed and spotless and righteous and holy. Not because that I did anything but because his son redeemed me, paid for me, bought me, applied the blood of the lamb to my heart. And when he sees me, he sees Jesus. And oh, how thankful I am for that. Amen. That's how Joshua saw him. Joshua said he saw a man with a sword drawn. And he said, whose side are you on? He said, I'm not here to pick sides. He said, I'm here as the captain of the Lord's host. In other words, he said, I'm running the battle. I'm in control of everything that's going on. He said, I'm controlling the bad side and the good side. I'm the captain. Ain't that a blessing? Ain't that a blessing? Bless his good name. The song is so simple. The words are so simple. The melody is beautiful. But the message in it is profound. Just give me Jesus. You can have the wealth, you can have the fame, you can have the popularity and the friendships and all that comes with the world. I'd rather have Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus. Miss Brenda sings so wonderfully the song that says, I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. Rather have him than anything. What a blessing he is to my heart and to my life. You have your Bibles this morning. I'll take you to Psalm 114 if you would. We'll do our best to follow the direction of the leadership of the Lord. I've been talking with him since about five this morning. Asking him to do as he would see fit in this service today that he would touch hearts and lives that he would give me what I need as well as give you what you need he has been better than good to me if tomorrow you should find me like Job 
If tomorrow you should find me like Job, remind me that today I said if I wind up like Job, I'd have to say God is still being good. Job lifted his head from the ashes, from scraping his sores with a broken piece of pottery. And he declared, Blessed be the name of the Lord. He said, Though my skin worms devour my flesh or my body, yet in my flesh I'm going to see God. Why, Job? Because I know that my Redeemer liveth. Job begged God for a daysman, an interceder, an advocate, someone that would speak on his behalf other than his friends that just railed on him and told him how sorry he was for being in the condition that he was. And then in just a little while, Job bragged on his daysman when he said, My Redeemer liveth. Hallelujah. What a Savior. What a Savior. Listen to Psalm 114. Let me say just another word right here. Amen. Somebody messaged me last night, a bunch of preachers. We talk all the time. That's all we do is talk about scriptures. And the preacher said, talking about the grace of God. I never responded, but it went through my mind. If you want to know the grace of God, read Psalm 114. You'll see the psalmist in one of the Hallel Psalms, the Hallelujah Psalms, the Brag on Jesus Psalms. You'll see the grace of God magnified, exemplified in the lives of the nation of Israel. When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of a strange language, Judah was his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. Watch God's grace. The sea saw it and it fled. Jordan was driven back. The mountains skipped like rams and the little hills like lambs. What ailed thee, O thou sea, that thou fleddest? Thou Jordan, that thou wast driven back. Ye mountains, that ye skipped like rams, and ye little hills like lambs. Listen what he said. Tremble thou earth at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, which turned the rock into a standing water, the flint into a fountain of waters. Lord, I thank you this morning for your goodness and your mercy toward us. I thank you for your love and your compassion. Lord, I thank you right now for a steady heart. I thank you for peace, Lord, that passeth all understanding. Thank you, Lord, for loving me when I was unlovable. I thank you for the great gift of grace, the great gift of mercy.
the great gift of joy. I thank you for your precious son. Lord, in that while I was yet a sinner, he died for me. Lord, I thank you for this church and for this people, for the grace of God that you've extended here year after year. Lord, as we look to your word this morning, I do ask that it would help every heart that is here today. God, that we'd be encouraged as you are exalted. Lord, that your church would be edified and united. God, that your people, Lord, would leave today thankful that they have been in the house of God. Lord, we know that it is one thing to live, but it is another thing to die. Lord, I pray that while we're living We'd ask you to give us, Jesus, that when we come to die, we can die happy and hopeful for the world that is to come. Lead us and guide us. Convict hearts. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. As I have already said, These are hallelujah psalms, rejoicing psalms, praising psalms. The book of Psalms in itself is known as the prayer and praise book of the nation of Israel. It is them rejoicing or praying on their journeys through life, the nation of Israel. Some of these were written while they were in the wilderness, others were written at other times during their difficult days. But here uh, we find a psalm of praise that is written upon the occasion of their being brought out of Egypt, not yet quite in the valley, uh, yet not quite uh, experiencing the 40 years of wandering, but yet it is the occasion of them being brought out uh, from the bondage in which They had been under the persecution of their taskmasters for all of those years. The slavery that they had been under and experienced on a daily basis. That slavery and that bondage that to you and I would picture the sin in which we once lived. The bondage of that sin that caused us to not want Uh, the things of God or to be around uh, the people of God, uh, the bondage of that sin uh, that we enjoyed living in, uh, the pleasure of that sin uh, that appeared uh, to be joyful at the time, that is where they are coming from. Matthew Henry says the psalmist is remembering the days of old. The good old days, if you will, back when they were moving from those years of being burdened by the taskmasters into a new life of freedom and joy and happiness. Those years where they would move from no hope or happiness in Egypt into a land of Canaan that flowed with milk and honey. A land of victorious living, a land of promise that had been given to them from God Almighty. 
The psalmist is writing of the wonders which their fathers had told them of. Days passed that they had heard the stories. I, I, I do not know how they told those stories or how they related them to their children. But when Joshua came through the river of Jordan, he commanded the men to take 12 stones and put in the midst of the river. He also commanded them to take 12 stones and to build a memorial to God. Why would he build a memorial to God that every time a little child that was with a grandma or a grandpa walked by that memorial that it would remind them how to tell those children of the days gone by of when God delivered them from their bondage. The good old days. Those days maybe for you and I when we were excited about our salvation, those days that at first uh, few weeks that we lived that we told everybody how good Jesus was and how wonderful he was to save us. Those days before we became comfortable in our places. This deliverance brought them out of their bondage. The Israelites were not driven out. I want you to notice this and get this. They were not driven out at the hands of the Egyptians. Nor did they have to talk or con their way out of Egypt. But they were delivered by the strong, almighty, uplifted hand of God. God moved the things uh, that prevented them uh, from ever being out of Egypt before. I will remind you that in the wilderness, uh, the people of Israel murmured and complained. Uh, they were upset. They had become, uh, they had become uh, contented in Egypt with the cucumbers and the leeks and the good things they had there, and they began to complain in the wilderness. This is not that story. This is that story of when they first were delivered and they were rejoicing at what God had done for them. Oh, Lord. Do you remember when you first got saved? Let me go back a step further. Do you remember when you were lost? And I'm done without God. And do you remember when you uh, were under the bondage of sin and you looked for happiness and everything that you could find, uh, but nothing seemed uh, to fill the void that was within you and then uh, that glorious day uh, when the Holy Ghost of God uh, brought grace to your doorstep uh, and opened your eyes uh, out of your lost condition uh, and delivered you uh, from the bondage of the slavery uh, that you had been under uh, and it felt like the weight of the world uh, had been lifted off of you uh, you felt like you were walking uh, on air at that moment uh, and you rejoiced at his goodness and his mercy do you remember I drove past 
Town Mountain last night coming home. We were trying to teach Jordan the way so that he would learn the markers and things to look for as he's traveling without us. And I said, Jordan, this is Tunnel Road, the open cut. And I said, up on Town Mountain is where I got born again. That's where I got saved. I was up on the top of that mountain up there. And listen, I thought this morning, if they should take a bulldozer and excavate Town Mountain and push it far into the sea, I'm still saved to the uttermost, saved for all eternity, redeemed forevermore, satisfied with Jesus. Hallelujah to his good name. I remember, I remember I went to work old bald-headed James Hitsley preacher worked side by side with him many years I went in I said James I got born again last night there wasn't any shame involved in saying so I said Jesus had come into my heart. I wasn't embarrassed. I wasn't worried about who was listening. I had been brought out of my Egypt into my deliverance, into my victorious living. And there's something there to rejoice in. Amen. Hallelujah. I think right now, I'm as much in awe as I ever have been, that he's kept me all these years. That he's let me walk there. That he's let me see him walk. That he's let me experience uh, some ups and downs in life. Thank God. Thank God. Listen, you say, preacher, what are you talking about? The ups and downs of life. Uh, The psalmist said the sea saw it. I'm going to get to the message in a moment. But listen, I'm telling you, they came to the edge of the Red Sea. There was a mountain on either side and an army behind them and a Red Sea in front of them. I'm telling you, if that ain't a downer, I don't know what is. There's nowhere to go. There's no hope to be found. I mean, we left Egypt and Pharaoh's army's about to catch us and overtake us. Don't you know the anxiety level of the children of Israel have reached an all-time high at that moment? Had we have only stayed, they wouldn't kill us and our children. Had we have only stayed, we can at least still be working and eating. But here we are trapped between the mountains and the sea. And the army's going to overtake us. And we're going to die. That's a down if I've ever seen one. But the psalmist said, the sea saw it. What did they see? They saw. Look at look at the here's the main verses of here's the main verse of the text. Tremble thou earth at the presence of the Lord 
had the presence of the God of Jacob, had the sea, did not just see at two million or so Israelites standing there, but the sea saw the God of heaven leading the way and leading the charge of deliverance. It wasn't Moses that caused the sea to roll back, but it was the presence of Almighty God. Hallelujah. He said they were delivered from a people of a strange language, people they're unfamiliar with, people that they don't gee and haw with. Amen. I didn't think people used that terminology anymore until we took the young people over there to the corn maze back in the fall and I crawled up on that wagon for that hayride and that old fella, that old fella had the reins in his hands, was saying gee and haw to them horses that was strapped to him. And they understood that. And listen, it ain't, it, he said these people that we're not geeing and hawing with. We're not moving the same way they move. We're not going the same direction they're going. How to put it in biblical terms, there is an unequal yoke that exists between a child of God and a non-believer. And listen, the people of Egypt had been brought up out of that land that they spoke a strange language in. They had a strange culture. They had strange habits. Uh, the Bible said, woe unto that man uh, that goeth down into Egypt uh, uh, for help. Uh, it's a place that is worldly and ungodly and God brought him up out of that. He delivered them. And the deliverance was from a strange land, from a strange language. They marched out with honor. <laughs> from a people that were barbaric. They didn't march out. I don't know. I don't know what their nutrition had been like while they were there. We think oftentimes about prisoners of war that have been held captive and, and uh, their skin hangs across their bones because they are malnourished and, and they're feeble trying to move and maneuver. I do not believe the children of Israel walked out of the land of Egypt that way. I, I believe they walked out uh, with their head held high. God led them with honor. He led them with pride. He led them uh, in a manner where they were able to rejoice and celebrate His goodness and see His miracles. This is the presence of the Lord. It's the presence of the Lord. You know why? You know why most churches are in the positions they are? It is the lack of the presence of God. People still have one foot in Egypt. Say, preacher, the Israelites weren't like that. Then why did they go to complaining? about what they were eating if they weren't still thinking of Egypt. Amen. People falter and they fall back into their sin because their mind is still in Egypt. But listen, right here, 
of the children of Israel were coming out. I mean, they were being led by the Almighty. I mean, they were being lifted by the Almighty. They were being delivered by the Almighty. And they walked out with honor. Child of God, raise your head high and declare boldly, I'm a child of the King. The songwriter said, His royal blood flows through my veins. I'm not a pauper or a beggar this morning. I'm not a I'm not meager and weak and undone, but I'm strong. I am a child of Almighty God. I am royalty according to the scripture. I am an ambassador of a land in which my citizenship lies. I am redeemed because of him this morning. Glory, glory, glory. Y'all all right? Amen. This delivering is notable because of his presence. Spurgeon said this, the Lord was to his people not only a deliverer, but he was a priest. Look at verse two. He said Judah was his sanctuary. He uses the pronoun his twice in this verse. He said he's his sanctuary and he's his at dominion. He became the priest that was there to administer the sacrifice and to make sure that the altar was in order and that every need was met and every need was supplied concerning that dominion. He wasn't just their deliverer, but he was their King, his domain, his kingdom, I was found in them, and he ruled and reigned in the wilderness. He delivered them as king that they may serve him in holiness and righteousness and worship him and in obedience to that moral law. Exodus 7 16. He said, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. Exodus 8 and 1. Let my people go that they may serve me. Exodus 9 and 10. Let my people go that they may serve me. Exodus 10 and 3. Let my people go that they may serve me. He delivered them, not as just a deliverer, but as a priest and as a king that had royal subjects to serve and to do. He set up his sanctuary, Exodus 25 and 8, said, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. This is the presence of God that delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh. His sanctuary demonstrates tokens of his presence. Happy, uh, Matthew Henry rather, says happy are people that have God's sanctuary among them. But he said much more those 
that like Judah are his sanctuary. We're happy to have the sanctuary among us, but how much happier should we be knowing that he said he had tabernacled among men. He had moved in to our bodies and he said it is a temple. It is a place where he dwells. How happy should we be if we've been delivered? Rejoicing, hallelujah psalm. I think I've told you this 10,000 times already. Hallelujah is a universal word. It is my Barney Fife word. Come out with your hands up. Rejoicing at the good things God has done. The psalmist is rejoicing at the presence of Almighty God that delivered them from the hand of Egypt. But he's not just rejoicing at the presence of God. It demonstrates the power of this king and of this God. Watch. Look at verse 3. The sea saw it and fled. What did the sea see? Think about that just a minute before I answer because I'm having to. What did the sea see? It saw that Judah was his sanctuary. Israel was his dominion. It recognized him as priest, king, deliverer, and it fled at his power. He has power to make the seas roll back. The Bible said he rolled back the Red Sea from the breath of his nostril. Singular. I've got two of them things. And the Bible said nostril singular. The sea rolled back. It stood up at the power of this king. All Moses did was stretch forth his rod. He didn't say roll back. He didn't say stand up. There's not a scripture anywhere that says that God spoke a word, but the scripture does say the sea saw it. They saw his power and the waves rolled up. We're talking about two million people that has to cross. And the sea stood up and made room for them to get through. Is there any wonder why the psalmist said, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! We come down to the banks of the Red Sea and how we was at a low place in our life, how we were experiencing a time of stress and worry, but the sea saw something and fled at the presence of our King and our God and our Lord. The seas stood up at His power, demonstrated. Listen, I heard a preacher say this week, you don't have to agree with this. Just tell you what he said. He talked about God had two books. I immediately said the Old and the New Testament and in what he was talking about. He said there is the book of nature that he writes every day. 
the beauty that we behold. Didn't y'all enjoy? Well, y'all may not have. I enjoyed the beauty of that snow that we recently had. That was a new page that had never been written before. But then he said there was this book. And this book, this book is the authority over the book of nature and over the laws of nature. And the law that says gravity holds us to the ground one day will be overruled by the book that says he's going to descend from heaven with a shout and that we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up together with him in the clouds. This book overrules the book of nature and the laws of nature that says we are bound to the earth. This book says not so. There's coming a day when we'll be loosed from the bondage of the laws of nature. <laughs> Listen, here's what I'm trying to say. All the powers of nature are under the check of this king. Mountains and hills are subject to him. They are movable and manageable because of his power. Do you remember the scripture where Christ said, had the O ye of little faith? He said, if you just had the faith of a grain of a mustard seed, uh, you could say to this mountain, uh, be removed into the sea, uh, and it would have to do so. <laughs> do you know why? Because he has the power to move and manage mountains. By the way, the rams and the lambs are not the focus of those verses. It is the moving of the hills and the mountains that are the focus. It is the mountains moving like the rams are skipping and the hills moving like the little lambs are jumping around on. It is an illustration to say these mountains are quaking at the presence and the power of Almighty God and it's an illustration that the children of Israel could relate to. The emphasis is the power that is in this deliverer that when the sea sees him, it has to flee. I'm reminded of the text where Jesus was asleep in the bottom of the boat and the storm came. Master, carest thou not that we perish? They say, he said, you just got a little faith. Where's your faith? Where's it at? Jesus said, peace, be still. I've studied that text and preached it more than once and every time I preach it, I look up that phrase to make sure that I've not forgotten what it means and that I got it right the last time I studied it. But it's this, it's this terminology that he used as if we had used to a little baby that's crying and raging and we'd take it up in our arms and we'd say, peace, be still, or we'd say, hush up now, settle down. It's all right. Jesus stepped out on the bow of the boat and with all the power given to him in heaven and earth from God the Father, he said, seize, hush up now and just settle down. You've got these boys scared to death. Just settle down. And the Bible said they obeyed. And the men said, what manner of man is this? 
that even the winds and the seas obey his voice. Oh, listen, I want to say to you this morning, I don't know if you've walked up to the edge of your Red Sea with blockages on both sides and the enemy right on your heels. He's got the power to deliver. He's got the power to tell the mountain to get to the sea and the sea to roll back and let you cross. That is the power that is displayed and demonstrated in this God that we serve Amen. is a God of power. He has spoke. He has spoke to the seas and they've stood up. He has told the mountains I'm coming and they've trembled. The hills heard he's on the way and they shook within themselves at the power of Almighty God. And I'll go back to what I said in welcoming you this morning. Some days we live like there is no God. And the mountains quiver at his presence. Isaiah said in the year that King Uzziah died, he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Did you know? Did you know at the sight of the Lord by Isaiah did you know that, that the building shook the sight of the Lord? His power, His power. He is so big. And we minimize Him so much. Some days, some days we act like we don't even need him. And we maneuver our way through a day without asking for his help, without looking for his guidance, without asking which way we should go. We have days like that. We have days like that. We're mortal. We're flesh. We have days when we forget his power. He is what it is. We forget that, listen, he hung the moon. The stars are where they are because one day he went. <laughs> he just flicked them out there. He didn't gather them up in a basket and then dump them over the edge. He just flicked a finger and the stars were hung and the moon was there. All he did was say, let there be light and light was present. He did all that's ever been done and we minimize his power. His power. His power. I've said this lately or recently rather. The earth is his footstool. If the earth is his footstool, who ought to be minimized is us and our abilities. A large God has propped his feet up on the planet we call home. A planet that we see as massive, and it's his footstool. An ocean that is vast and deep, he told it when to stop and where it could go. 
mountains that cannot be scaled by men. He put them there. And listen, he inhabits the praise of even those mountains. They quake at his presence. They tremble at his sight. His power is greater than we could think. Listen to this, written by Abraham Cowley, who lived between the years 1618 and 1667. He said, unloose their close embraces and divide and backward press, as in solemn show the crowding people do. Though just before no space was seen to let the admired triumph pass between. He's talking about those waters rolling back. Listen to this second verse. The wandering army saw on either hand the no less wandering waves, little rocks of crystal sand. They marched betwixt and boldly trod the secret path of God. A path that they did not see when they left. A path that they did not know was there when they come out of Egypt. But a path that God had made for them as a way of escape from the bondage of which they're in. Who can do that but an all-powerful God? God. Did you know, by the way, that the earth is not even the biggest planet in the universe? Did you know that there are planets that have way more suns than we have? We're just little, minimal. Sometimes we strut through life like we're somebody while He's everything. It is His power. Listen, finally, this morning, and I'll be brief, verse number seven or verse number eight talking about the presence of the God of Jacob, which turned the rock into a standing water and the flint to a fountain of waters. Not only do we see this God and His presence, this God and His power, but there is this God and His providence. He took them into a desert where there was no water. He took them into the place where they knew not where they'd get their victuals and get their provisions for themselves from. He they had no idea. God said, just smite the rock. And from the rock, the Bible said that, uh, that he flooded the desert there. Said he turned it into a standing water. And he turned that flint into a fountain that just flowed and flowed and flowed. The provision of God. The provision. Where are you? I mean, where, where are we at this morning? I mean, there's been a sweet spirit in here. This morning, I'm telling you, it's been good. It's been real. We've all thought in our mind, I saw people wiping tears. Just give me Jesus. Lord, just, you can have the world. The world is wicked. The world is defiled. The world hurts us and hampers us. Deliver us from Egypt, oh God. And just give us Jesus. Wherever you are, and you're standing with God, He'll put a flood in the desert. He'll provide. He's got power to deliver you from any circumstance. Listen, I, I want to be clear about that. I want to be clear about that. 
I've heard people and had people tell me this, preacher, you just don't know what I've done and who I've been. And this is not crude. I'm not saying this crude, but I want you to understand it doesn't matter what you've done and where you've been. Did I tell you that the mountains tremble at his presence? Did I tell you that the sea saw him coming and rolled back at his power? The writer of Hebrews said he could save to the uttermost. That's the most saved you can be. It's saved to the uttermost. The old preacher somewhere along the way said it and every preacher since then has repeated it. He saved us from the guttermost to the uttermost. Ain't that how they say it? From the most vile of sinners to the most righteous of saints is how he has made us and declared us from an adulterous, wicked nation to as a chaste virgin, pure and white and without spot and without blemish. That's who we are. That's children of God. Here, let me get back to Providence. David said, he said, I was young. Now I'm old. He said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken for his seed begging bread. Providence. Providence. Manna in the wilderness. I'll never forget this from my days in Bible college. There's a question on nearly every Old Testament exam I ever took. Manna, what is the definition? It literally means, what is it? They went from the salads, the fruit salads in Egypt to getting up in the morning and saying, what is it? It's provision. It's what you need. It is sustaining bread when you can't do it yourself. It takes your hands off the picture and allows God to be the one to receive the glory. It allows Him. No man, no child of Israel could say, man, we were standing there at the Red Sea and Pharaoh was beating down on us and all of a sudden, I, not one of them could say that. But the psalmist said they were standing there in that shape and the sea saw it and fled. What did they see? His power. They saw his presence. So the psalmist said, we've got to write a song rejoicing. We've got to lift up praise. We've got to honor him for what he has done. The old song just says, give God the glory for what he's done in your life. Give him the glory. Give him the glory. Give him the glory. What a God. What a God. Has he... Has he become minimized in your life by you trying to figure it all out and you trying to know what's next and how to go? If that's the case, if you're trying to figure it out, and listen, it is, our, it is, it is a weak flesh and we certainly do sometimes try to figure it out. I do. I do. I'm guilty. I do. What's next? How will we make it? Where will we go? What will we do? That's minimizing 
power of God. What should we do, preacher? Psalmist said, wait on the Lord. Just wait on him. Just wait on him. He's on time and everything he does. If you don't believe that, ask Lazarus when you get to heaven. If you don't see Lazarus, then you didn't listen to what I was preaching this morning. You went the wrong way. Amen. He's an on-time God. And when he shows up, you'll know it's time. And you can quit waiting. And you can start following. And you can watch miracles. You can watch his power. You can see his glory. And you can rejoice with him and for him. Let's stand our feet. The altar is open. Should you need to pray for whatever reason, there are days I need to see his power and be reminded just how big he really is. Could I, could I say this to you and, and, and give you part of who I am without giving you too much personal today? was one of those days. But Gary, I just needed to see his power today. I had minimized who he is and what he does. Are you, is that you? Do you do that? I say giving you too much personal sometimes. Sometimes I'm too honest about my life, Brother Ralph. And people will come to me and they'll say, you shouldn't tell that much about, about your life. People will lose confidence in you. Listen, I want you to know this. I want you to know this. What you're looking at is flesh. And it is weak. It is weak. And many days we forget that God is in control. And he's got this thing in the palm of his hand. And he's guiding everything that comes to me. He's guiding everything that goes through me. And he'll guide me to the other side. Brother Ralph, when I got on the boat, he said, let us go over to the other side. He didn't say, let's get halfway there and I'm going to kick you out in the storm. He didn't say we're going to get a quarter of the way there. Things are going to get so hard you're going to have to quit. He didn't say we're going to get three quarters of the way there. You're going to be able to see the banks of the shore and all of a sudden a wave's going to overtake you and you're going to die and not make it. He said we're going to the other shore. No matter what lies between us and there, He's powerful enough to handle it. He has grace enough to see you through it. While we sing, would you come?